Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, it's Friday afternoon, so we better have a bit of a rant, or rather a couple of rants about the budget yesterday. Here's the first one. Shouldn't the so-called free medicines policy be more targeted? We know that most of the cost of a prescription is government-funded anyway through Pharmac, so that $5 charge per script is more about paying for administration than anything else. But most people can afford that. Yes, there are some for whom $5 is a big deal. So let's target just them for this no-charge policy. It could be a simple test based on your weekly income and you get a card to say that you're exempt from paying the $5. I mean, how hard would that be? Doesn't something similar happen already with the community services card? So this policy is going to cost $150 million a year for the next four years, $600 million in total. That's what they announced yesterday. So even if as many as 30% of the prescriptions were for people in genuine hardship as measured by income, that's still a saving of $100 million a year, $100 million that could be, that could be put into other parts of the health system, surely. Isn't that worth thinking about? But this government, you see, is not at all keen on targeted payments. They just shovel out the money to billionaires and beneficiaries alike. And that, in my book, is just not being efficient. Well, you would have seen all the headlines yesterday about the budget lollies. Well, they weren't especially sweet ones, were they? But they they were there, like the dropping of prescription fees at the chemist, uh, the 20 hours of preschool education, which is being funded now for two-year-olds, two-year-olds up, that's if their parents can find the two-year-olds a daycare centre with any spaces, and there's going to be 3,000 extra public housing spaces too. Although if Kiwi Build is anything to go by, That won't happen in a hurry. But here's a few other things to consider. These were not in the headlines yesterday. Uh, From the 1st of July, fuel is up 29 cents a litre because the full excise tax will be back on. If you're a trustee or a beneficiary of a trust, that trust will now pay the top tax rate of 39% on income over $180,000 a year from next April. So much for no new taxes, Chris Hipkins. Although, to be fair, he did say no new taxes this year. That top rate for trusts uh, doesn't start until April the 1st next year. But still expect to see a lot of of trusts uh, being quickly wound up and the assets uh, they control being put into a company where the top tax rate is only 28%. And the government reckons it will have the country back in surplus in three years by 2026, you know. I'll believe that. When I see it, but frankly, for now, I just see a few pigs flying across the horizon. This is RCR Reality Check Radio. You know, I've become a fan of Patrick Moore in recent times. He's one of the founders of Greenpeace. These days, he just speaks, well, a whole lot of common sense when it comes to matters of the environment. Now, here are some of his lines on chlorine in drinking water from his book, uh, Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout. Quote, 
Adding chlorine to drinking water represented the biggest advance in the history of public health and saved millions from death due to cholera, typhoid and other waterborne communicable diseases, unquote. Uh, he was a student of advanced biochemistry, so Patrick Moore knew what he was talking about, but he left Greenpeace over the chlorine issue because Greenpeace wanted to ban chlorine in water supplies everywhere, a decision Patrick Moore says was wrong-headed and just not based on science. Which brings us to Christchurch in 2023. The National Water Regulator, Tomata Arawai, wants chlorine in the Christchurch water supply. Most of the council and most of the people there don't. Nobody has ever become sick from waterborne disease in Christchurch because the city has pure snow-driven water taken from an aquifer under the plains after originally washing down off the Southern Alps and into the vast underground braided river that flows under the Canterbury Plains. When it's extracted, it's as pure as any water anywhere. But Tomata Arawai want to put chlorine into it. That's not good enough for Christchurch people. They don't like the taste. They don't want the extra cost. But it's worth remembering another Patrick Moore line. Life without chlorine would be impossible. Chlorine is essential for life. The Christchurch Council is pushing back against the Wellington bureaucracy. Unfortunately for the people of Christchurch, these days, Wellington usually wins. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Gee, there's been quite a vicious reaction from some people to the demise of Jenny Craig, you know, the weight loss company. It's gone into voluntary administration in New Zealand and in Australia, and the American headquarters company has filed for bankruptcy. So it looks like it's all over for Jenny Craig. The company really couldn't get much slimmer. Uh-huh. But an article in Stuff, uh, where else, is showing uh, little compassion for the company. One woman who runs a fashion brand for what she calls plus-size women calls the company hateful and it actively profited off making people miserable. This woman, Joanna McLeod, said Jenny Craig peddled a toxic diet culture and fat phobia. Wow. Another woman named Jess Molina reckons Jenny Craig existed because of diet culture and fat phobia. And she says diet culture is intrinsically linked to capitalism, colonisation and the patriarchy. Again, wow. Who knew? I'm a simple man. I don't care, though, if people are fat or not. But what I do keep reading from the health professionals is that if you're overweight, you are likely to develop other health issues and keeping your weight under control is going to be better for you in the long run. But by the sounds of what are some very bitter comments in this story about Jenny Craig, having your weight under control just might make you a nicer person as well. It's good to see that the boss of the transport agency, Waka Kotahi, has finally come clean about the state of the country's roads. Uh, the network of state highways, she says, is at a tipping point. That's according to Nicole Rosie. She was brutally honest at a public seminar in Auckland earlier this week when she asked the audience, what is your experience of the roading network and do you think it's in a fit state for New Zealand? <laughs> the audience laughed, apparently. 
because they knew the answer, uh, no. Even the basic numbers don't make much sense. The roads are valued at $70 billion on the government's books, but less than a billion was spent on maintenance in the last financial year. Nicole Rosie is frustrated. She says that Waka Kotahi just does not get enough government money to do its job of building and maintaining roads through the National Land Transport Fund, which comes from fuel excise and road user charges. But much of that money is directed away from roads to things like cycleways. Uh, Ms Rosie wants a straight-out user-pays digital system based on the kilometres you travel and the weight of your vehicle, with the money all going to roads to build and maintain them. After all, roads are still the most used form of transport in this country and always will be. But, you know, when road maintenance does happen, it has to be much better managed. I had an incident yesterday in my neighbourhood. I had to drive from my home in the country uh, to Wanaka, which means going over a one-lane bridge at a little village called Luggett. That one-lane bridge is closed for repairs. But the detour has maintenance crews working with stop-go lights. I mean, really? They make you add 15 minutes to the journey because of the detour, and then they hold you up even more on the detour. I mean, the country's inefficiency is just breathtaking sometimes, isn't it? Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now to some of your feedback received through inbox at realitycheck.radio. A letter from Robert Clements has come in in response to the discussion that we've been having about the RSE program, uh, Relationships and Sexuality Education. Uh, Rob uh, attached uh, a copy of the RSE Guides for Teachers, Leaders and Boards of Schools. Uh, There is one for years one to eight, the primary and intermediate school years, and then there's one for the high school years. What staggers me is the time and effort that has gone into these documents and indeed into the entire RSE programme. Each of the guides is over 60 pages long and is quite prescriptive and detailed, telling you what kids should be taught. Yet we have a New Zealand curriculum which is lacking in detail and is anything but prescriptive. The RSE guide contains material that, frankly, I think should be taught in the home. Uh, Somehow, the Ministry of Education priorities are all wrong, but that's not the first time I've said that. However, at least in New Zealand, we are not putting on our children what is happening in the Netherlands, because Rob also sent me some PDFs of the sex education program there. Uh, They make your hair stand on end because they go beyond sex education into out-and-out sex instruction. It's quite extraordinary. Talk about losing your innocence. The Dutch can keep that. Surely we wouldn't have that sort of graphic stuff taught in our schools, would we? Hmm, we hope not. Uh, Thanks for your correspondence, Rob, and remind me never to send my grandchildren to school in Holland. My address is inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text, 2057. Love to hear from you. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. 
Now, following on from the correspondence uh, from Rob about the RSE program, it is worth noting that today is Pink Shirt Day, with a special emphasis on stopping bullying at school. Now, on the surface, it seems a well-intentioned day because we don't want kids to be bullying each other. But the reality is that kids have always bullied each other. It's not nice, but it happens. And yes, it's a good idea to make attempts to reduce it. Kids get bullied for being fat, for being slow and uncoordinated at sport, and for goodness sake, for having ginger hair, although that might not happen as much these days because the Prime Minister is a ginger. A Canadian study says the major reason for bullying at school is body image, in other words, being fat or having spots on your face, are followed by your school grades and then your racial or your ethnic background. But the emphasis on Pink Shirt Day today is on transphobic and homophobic and intersex bullying, which according to surveys is not one of the main causes of bullying in schools, in Canada at least. Uh, Even worse, the feeling is that Pink Shirt Day is being used to indoctrinate gender theory and sexual identity of school children under the guise of anti-bullying programs. Uh, the frontman for the campaign today is the omnipresent Shanil Lal, the one who was at the forefront of bullying and shouting down women at the Posey Parker event uh, in Auckland back in March. As usual with uh, those people obsessed with matters of gender, hypocrisy is writ large. Frankly, with our dreadful education standards, I would have thought worrying about transgender bullying in schools should be a long way from a top priority. Now, this may not be a big deal for you if you don't live in Southland or Otago, but I just want to say how sad I am to hear that H&Js are closing down. I spent most of my primary school years in Invercargill, and in the 1960s, H&J Smith's Well, they were just a part of life, really. It's where you bought your clothes, uh, quite a lot of the household furniture, where your mum bought her wool and her material, and it was the place you went to almost as a tourist attraction. As a kid, I was always fascinated by the big vacuum piping system around the department store that the shop assistants put the canister with your money in, and it whooshed off to some place upstairs, and then a few minutes later, the canister would come back with your change and the receipt for the purchase. Uh, That was a way before checkbooks and certainly a long time before credit cards. Anyway, that was the way it was more than 60 years ago. No cash registers. It's all different now. The rise of the specialist stores, the big box stores, the national and the international chains mean that places like H&J's have been struggling for years. And now the rubber has hit the road. H&J's are closing down. 220 staff will be out of a job and 12,000 square metres of retail space will become available in downtown Invercargill between Tay Street and Esk Street. It's the same all over the country, I guess, though. The famous old stores like DIC and Arthur Barnett's in Dunedin, Kirkcaldy and Staines in Wellington, they're all gone. David Jones came and went in Wellington, but the store I understand on Lambton Quay is empty. Unleased. So, how could H&J's possibly survive in Invercargill? It's the end of an era down there. We just can't do much about it. So, thanks for the memories, H&J's, especially those vacuum pipes and the money canisters. 
Now, wouldn't Labour, the Greens and the Maori Party just have loved the outcome of that poll on TV3 on Wednesday night, the poll about a wealth tax? The question was wide-ranging, completely lacking in detail. It read, would you support the government introducing a wealth tax? 53% said yes, just under 35% said no. There was, of course, no definition of what wealth actually is. So frankly, the results of that poll are meaningless. Is it a tax on the value of your house, for instance, once it reaches a million dollars in equity? Is it yet more tax on your KiwiSaver account or your managed investment fund, which have had tax-paid income invested into them, and then the returns on that investment already taxed inside the fund? Is it a tax on the value of your business, which is already paying tax on the profits, GST on its supplies or raw materials, and income tax for its employees? So it was frankly a ridiculous question designed to kowtow to the lefties. Yet Grant Robertson's reaction was, quote, I'm interested in the results of your poll. I think that is code for, I'm keen to take more money off those wealthy pricks. Now, as I've said before, I would be happy to pay more tax if the government could be guaranteed, trusted to spend it efficiently and effectively. And in the last five years, especially the last three, this government has proved conclusively, time and time again, that it can't do that. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. There was a fantastic story about Lindley Hood, uh, which was very prominent in the Otago Daily Times yesterday. You might know of Dr Hood. She's an author, uh, best known for her book on the Peter Ellis case, A City Possessed. It outlined how wrong uh, Peter Ellis's convictions were. It took over 20 years, but she was eventually proved correct, although sadly, uh, Peter Ellis never lived long enough to hear that his convictions had been quashed. Anyway, Lindley Hood, who is now 80, fell and broke her pelvis three years ago, and she's been in constant lower back pain ever since. She also had deteriorating vision, poor eyesight, which she was resigned to, and she had essentially been unable to read or write for more than 10 years because of it. But she took part in a trial at the medical school at Otago University to try to relieve her back pain. She was actually in the placebo group whereby an electrical current passed across her scalp. The control group had uh, the current go into their brain. But uh, lo and behold, Lindley Hood's vision has improved to nearly 100%. Her ophthalmologist says it's an accidental miracle. The question now is, uh, can this research be used to improve the deteriorating eyesight of others? We certainly hope so. In the meantime, Lindley Hood is going back to writing and says she has several new books in the pipeline. Isn't that just the most wonderful of stories? I understand she still has issues with her back pain, but she has her sight back, and that is just fantastic. Welcome back to the world, Lindley Hood. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now here's a story which has rather slipped through on the blind side. It was not reported in this country to my knowledge. You might have heard of a little pill called ivermectin. It was once on the list of the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. 
Its developer won a Nobel Prize back in the 90s. It was a cheap and effective drug against a variety of illnesses like scabies and river blindness and those of a respiratory variety like COVID. And it was cheap. Its patent had expired, so it cost about 55 cents a treatment. But it was a threat to the big drug companies and the profits they could make from COVID vaccines. So those drug companies somehow convinced governments around the world to stop doctors prescribing it. People who imported it privately had their consignments confiscated by customs in New Zealand. It was an absolute disgrace. But in Australia, and this is the news, the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, on May the 3rd, 15 days ago, quietly removed the prescribing restrictions on ivermectin, which had been imposed in September of 2021. Back then, the TGA said one of the reasons that people who had been prescribed ivermectin for COVID would consider themselves protected and might not get vaccinated. I mean, what more proof do you need that drug companies were running the COVID response and not government health authorities? I don't know what the current situation is in New Zealand regarding ivermectin, but I suspect we won't be far behind Australia in making it available again. After all, only a few weeks ago, Simon Thornley, one of the most outspoken epidemiologists during COVID, was working in the Pacific treating scabies, and he was alarmed to find a shortage of ivermectin to cure people there. That's what our government did to our Pacific neighbours, you see. Like most of our COVID response... It was outrageous. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio.